Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. Today we are talking with musician, songwriter, and producer Jenna Andrews. Jenna has been an artist for years with songs like Tumbling Down, which was featured on the TV show Grey's Anatomy. And now as a songwriter and producer working with other artists, She's been labeled as a hit maker for her work with artists such as Drake, Jennifer Lopez, Jesse J, and Dua Lipa. Jenna also has her own mental health podcast called The Green Room. Now on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And what Jenna is talking about today is a very tough subject, struggling with an eating disorder, specifically anorexia nervosa. Anorexia is characterized not only by intentionally maintaining an unhealthy low body weight and a fear of weight gain, but also a self-concept that is dominated by issues of eating, shape, and weight. Anorexia can be life-threatening and is very difficult to treat in part because the fear of gaining weight is so intense and the restrictive eating habits are so powerfully ingrained. Jenna talks about how her experience with being bullied about her weight contributed to her developing anorexia. And she also goes on to discuss how she overcame anorexia, but still copes with eating issues to this day. So let's go there and listen to what Jenna has to say. So Jenna, welcome to Going There. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You know, you have mentioned in the media before just struggling with eating issues. And and why don't we just go back to whenever that started for you? Yeah, so I... It started basically um, right into high school because I I came into grade 10 and it's funny because we call it grade 10 in Canada. I did not 10th grade. Um, But anyway, so came into into high school and really it was just, you know, you're changing so much. And I think like I kind of was like the rebellious years of like, okay, let's skip class, eat fast food, like all this type of thing. And, you know, I was always thin growing up. Not that that really is relevant at all with when it comes to eating disorder, but I mean, I get, I ended up gaining weight, but it wasn't even anything like crazy significant, but at the time, you know, I think I gained like 30 pounds or something and it was 20, which is, which is a lot, but you know, I mean, it's, it was kind of like in a way like baby weight too. I think now coming into adulthood, like people would like that now. So anyway, what happened was, is basically, if you want to know the real story, it's like, 
basically came into high school and I was like dating all these guys. And when I started gaining the weight, like the girls would be so jealous of me when I was dating the guys. And then when I gained the weight, like that was their way to get me back, essentially. You know what I mean? So that's when it all started because they would put signs up about me and like the foyer stuff, like Jenna has a fat ass. And the guys that would break up with me too, this is, it seems so stupid to even talk about, but that's really the story is like they, you know, they would be mad and then they would like stick like a sign on my ass when I would walk by and I wouldn't know it was on me the whole day. Like, isn't that crazy? It's just like, and it would just say fat ass or like, they'd be like, Oh, an elephant's coming down the, 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 the hall. And like, you know, just stuff like that. They'd write, they'd write about me in all the bathrooms, in the lockers. They just like tormented me essentially. Right. Because I mean, and, 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 you know, it's funny because going through this in your head so many times, like, Oh, what, what, what exactly? Like, happened you know what I mean and it's it's I guess describing the story in a sense that like blaming it on myself in the sense that hey I dated these guys I broke up with them I didn't know much I was skipping class I was rebelling I ate too much like things like that but no matter what you don't deserve to be bullied you know what I mean it's those are the things that happen leading up to it but I don't I don't and it, you know when I tell these stories I'm always like talking about how it happened as if oh what did I do wrong but honestly like no matter what I don't think you ever deserve to be treated that way so anyway, it was just things like that. I mean, one time this girl fully chased me down the hall and like smashed my head into a mirror, like and egged me. And like, it was like crazy. Looking back, it's very clear that it was jealousy. But at the time, you don't see it that way. Like at the time, you just think, oh, you suck. You're, you know, everything's wrong with you. You're, you're the worst. Like they hate me. Like you don't think of why the people are attacking you. You don't, you don't, it just doesn't process that way. So anyway, grade 11, that summer, I basically just ended up losing. Like this is when the eating disorder started. So I lost like, I don't know, I maybe probably like 40 pounds in two months. And I mean, anorexia isn't just like not eating period, right? It's just like, it's eating enough to basically survive and not die. Basically I would eat, you know, like half a protein bar in like a ton of coffee and gum and maybe like one rice cake. And I would make these blended drinks of like hot sugar-free hot chocolate powder and like, uh, hopefully nobody learns. I'm not giving tips or anything, but I'm just, <laughs> this is like in a ton of ice and that's how I'd survive. And then I worked out like four hours a day to burn all the calories. So essentially like, you know, burn off six times what I'm consuming. And then, yeah, it just became really bad. And then essentially I went basically from like 145 pounds to 97 pounds in like four months or something and ended up getting, um, my kidneys almost ended up failing from it. It was crazy. No, it's it's horrible. I mean, the the bullying that that you're talking about. It, it's so interesting because, and I say so interesting in, in a horrible way. That one of the things that's so difficult about eating issues is that it feels as though our bodies are understood socially even before we understand ourselves socially. So what you're describing in some situation is that. These are people who had jealousy of you and then they were attacking you as though it was their prerogative, as though they have rights over you physically. Um, and that's one of the things that that's just so difficult about how we understand our bodies and to develop any kind of a healthy body image because it feels like we have to share our at least social sense of our bodies with everybody, which is, is brutal and unfair. 
Yeah, no, definitely. That's the kind of thing that I think I always try to explain to people now or kids now growing up because it's it's just so hard to tell somebody going through this that those are the reasons why that it's happening because it doesn't, it really just, again, just doesn't feel like that when you're living within it. Like as much as you could say, oh, from the outside, oh, this is not actually true. This person is just jealous or there's all these kind of things. I feel that you have to, truly feel that within yourself and as a kid you have so little life experience that it's like how how would you be able to to know that like how would you be able to have the confidence to be able to say oh you're right you know what I mean because all you see is people hating you and being mean to you that's a lot more obvious than you know going home to your mom and dad or your you know best friend and saying don't worry you're, you're beautiful you're like no you're crazy everyone else thinks I suck that must be true you know, like, how are you supposed to have the inner confidence to believe that that's not true is what I'm saying. And, and even to have just to start before we even get the confidence, just to have a, a self-knowledge. First of all, you know, it's just jealousy, but someone slam your head into a wall because of it. You know what I mean? Like, like when you're dealing with that kind of bullying, you know, people feeling like they can put signs on you, people like they can say things about you, whatever, you know, do we even have time to to consider the, the, the possibility of confidence. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like war was declared before you even knew you were a country. Oh my God. A hundred percent. Exactly. And it's, it's just amazing how much it's so formative to your life. Cause even now thinking about it, you know, 10 plus years later, it's just like how much it affects me. And, you know, at the end of the day, in a way, I do think it's affected me positively in the sense that it's given me so much drive to be like, not prove them wrong, because I think that's not a good motivating force. I'm not saying that, oh, I'm going to just live my life to prove all the people I went to high school with wrong. You know, that's not what I mean. But I think that when you go through those type of things and people constantly are mean to you and tell you how much you're not good or you're not pretty or you're not this, or you're not that there's something, there's a fire that builds within you that you just have to just be like, go so hard. And I think that had that not happened, I would be a very different person today. You know, the first thing that it sounded like you did was you took control. You know, you took control over your body. Right. And, and even though that was something that on a practical level was very unhealthy. And this is, I think, again, the thing that where there's a lot of misunderstanding between people who struggle with eating disorders and either parents or clinicians or um, the popular, you know, public at large, is that there was still something about that that was proactive. It's like, I'm taking control of something that was previously out of my control. You know, you used to control my social persona. You used to control how my body was understood in this cultural, social context. I'm taking that back. Right. And even though it leads to unhealthy things, one of the things I think that we fail on times is that we don't empathize with people for doing that because the outcome is so, is so dangerous. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting point. I mean, exactly. I think it definitely means that you're taking the control back a hundred percent. And in fact, in so on so many different levels too, just because beyond just taking the control of your body, but you're also, it's just the one thing that you can't, it's like one of those things that you can control. There's not a lot of things in life sometimes that you, you can tangibly control, but when it's your own body and what you consume, it's like, you literally have all the control. So in a way, it's like, yes, you're controlling your physical being, but you're also controlling so many other things by doing that. Because you're like, oh, okay, like if I can do that, I feel more powerful in all these other kind of ways. Yeah, and one of the things that's so difficult for people 
with eating issues and it reverberates on a societal level because everybody witnesses it. So even if you're not the one who's losing weight, you're witnessing this happening with other people, which is that sometimes people get all of these compliments on the way down in terms of their weight. And it's only at the very, very, very most extreme point that people say like, oh, there's something wrong here. But all the way up until then, in, in a lot of cases, not in all cases, and that, that part's changing on a societal level, which is good. But a lot of people, when they start losing weight, are getting compliments all the way through until that very moment. That's a very confusing feedback, I think, for people. That's part of the problem is, is because, listen, it, it's for both things. It's like, think about the reason why, for me, for example, that I even developed eating disorders because of all the people reinforcing how bad it looked, right? So think about it. It's like, oh yeah, you look back, you, you know, you look fat or whatever these things are. So it made me want to lose the weight. And then when you lose the weight, it's like, oh, you look good. And then it just makes you want to lose more weight. It's like a vicious cycle in a way. You know what I mean? There's so much sexism in the cycle of eating disorders. Oh, you know, there's- right. There's focus on, on women's bodies. There's, there's the power differential. I mean, there's, there's so many things we can talk about that we, we, maybe we could talk about that in a moment, but like one of the things also that I find to be particularly odd is that we live in a society that rewards extreme behavior. We reward people who are willing to get multiple concussions in order to play football. Oh, I know. You know, and bra- and people, people, and we know this now. We know that people get multiple concussions. We know there are people that can't walk after they've played. We know that people who are who are boxers, typically male boxers, who have had all of those same problems, die at an early age. We see this in in hockey fighting, and we see, and it extends beyond that. We reward people in finance for working 120 hours a week and developing a heart condition so that they can get to a certain status in society, and yet then. We don't view people, particularly women with an eating disorder, in that same context. Nobody says like, wow, well, how come all these guys can like do these extreme, incredibly harmful things and they get rewarded for it? But then when a woman does it for her eating issues, it's like, oh, so disturbed. What's wrong with her? Like, it's kind of like, wow, like this thing started with sexism. And then it ended with sexism. It's just like, a, like I said, like an ongoing sexist cycle. I don't know if you agree with that, but that, that's the way I see it. I mean, of course I agree. I mean, I think this just, you can't even get me into the sexism aspect of things. I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms, which I a hundred percent think is, is correct. Although I will say that like, in terms of being rewarded, I don't, I, I do think people are judgmental no matter what. I think they're going to judge you if they think you're fat. And I think they're going to judge you if they think you're skinny, but I don't think they're judging you in the same way. They're not like, ew, well, they might be, but deep down they're saying that because they're jealous of you. And because you're a woman, it's like, you know, there's the catty behavior, obviously that that exists, and and again, that's that's sort of where where my whole story started as well is like just like the whole thing of of feeling like this cycle of jealousy. So I don't know that it's like yeah, I, I think people judge it and definitely think that anorexia is like maybe it's superficial, for example, or like they're concentrating on just like their looks and like you know when they look at models, oh, they're not eating, like that's so whatever. But at the end of the day, I think ultimately society still does reward it though. Look at all the models that, that, you know, their lifestyle and how they're forced to like barely eat and these kind of things just to look a certain way for society. And then they're rewarded because that's their job and they're, you know, they're selling something. So in a way you made up a really good point because I think our society lacks a lot of empathy because all everyone just, we're in this like money hungry, fame hungry world that they don't really care about you. They just care about, you know, 
your status. And it's, it's always been like that, but it's so much worse now with social media. It's a crazy thing. I think people, it's almost like, again, they're not caring about the person. They're caring about everything that the person represents. That to a certain degree was also present back then, right? Because it's like, you know, these people who are bullying you are, at least from my perspective, are certainly not considering you as a person. You know, they're, they're definitely like just, oh, what this represents, like what's this threat or what's this, you know, something that maybe I don't have or wish I'd have or whatever it was. They're not, you know, and you're now on some level taking it back. You're, you're gaining control. You're like, you're, whether consciously or not, you're like, no more. I'm not, you know, but at what point do you start to see, wait a minute, this is now controlling me more than I'm controlling it. Cause that's where, that's where things flip with, with, with eating issues is when, oh, like I'm not doing this because like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get back control. You're like, I'm now a little bit beholden to this impulse. And that feels very different for people. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely the truth because the feeling of it controlling your life is exactly right. Again, going back to the fact that it's just about the body image, but because it becomes so much more than that, it, it does. That's how, when it starts to take over your life because it seeps into every part. Think about it. It's the way it's controlling you is because it's, it, it affects your mood. For example, you might get in a fight with somebody because you're grumpy or something. You know what I mean? You haven't like things like that, or you may make a terrible decision because again, you're not thinking straight. So again, how is that? These things are just going to catapult into one big problem that again is that's how the, the eating disorder controls you because again, it, it affects every point of your life, just like any sort of addiction to something, right? Because, in, and that's a whole nother subject we can talk about, but those are, that's when you feel like you have control of something, which addiction is, it's like you lose control. And it's very similar, I think, for, for a lot of people, especially in the music industry with addiction is where everyone assumes that it starts from a problematic place. Everyone assumes it's, oh, you're, you're lonely. I mean, I've heard people say like, well, you know, addiction is, is a reflection of narcissism. And it's like, I don't know a lot of the people that I talk to who wind up becoming alcoholic or addicted in some other ways. They just started because they were partying. It started from a good place. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I need a beer in the morning, you know? And then now all of a sudden it's like, oh, like if I don't drink now, I feel badly. And was there a point like that for you you know, where you woke up one day and it was going and it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm taking, you know, I'm doing this. And like, uh, oh man, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in a whole different zone now. Or was it more gradual for you? No, it was definitely like, like you had to do it. Like that's, that's what I'm saying is like, I felt that if I broke out of the routine of what I was doing, like in terms of the diet that I, I had, or, you know, the, the amount that I worked out, it would completely make me lose the confidence. Again, it controls you in that sense. Cause it's like, it, it, it's, it, but I don't know, whatever that saying is, it kills you if you do and kills you if you don't or whatever it is. It's one of those things because if, if, if I broke out of the routine, it, it would also affect me in, in the same way as being grumpy or, you know, making bad decisions or not being able to sleep or things like that. But the same things would happen either way. So it's like, it just completely damned if you do damned, if you don't, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do, listen, any eating disorder is difficult, but the research I think definitely suggests that like binge eating disorder, even bulimia is a little, the recovery rates are a little bit better you know, in terms of like what we know about treatment, anorexia is a very, very tough 
condition. Not that those others aren't, of course they are, but like anorexia in particular is a very, very tough condition. How, how did you recover from that? Well, truthfully, two things. One is legitimately, I got to the point where the doctor said that if I didn't get it together, then I would die like fully, like my kidneys were going to die, like fail. So that was definitely awakening for me. And then two, honestly, I would say music saved my life because I have such a deep passion for music. It's something that's just so, you know, it's like you're literally like a part of your body to the point where it's just so much bigger than everything else. And and I'm so lucky for that. And it always was, but I think that coming out of high school, going through this experience and then having music and, you know, being presented opportunities from music and, and having that sort of help elevate my confidence and just also give me a reason to like live the 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 feeling that music gives you or gives me or like when it really feels like something that is like your deep purpose and again this is it's not like a thing where it's like you rely on just music it's like obviously there's so many other things but like it's just such a deep passion if anything else and I think that diverted my attention to something else. Do you know what I mean? So I was able to like concentrate on, on things that were happening in my music career in a positive way, which made me feel better about taking a little less control in terms of like, again, what I was eating or things like that. Cause you said like when I, you know, if I would change my diet or if I'd add like something else that I was eating and then I'd feel like fat or bad about myself, couldn't go about my day. But whereas like if I inserted, Hey, this opportunity and this thing and everything that's happening, that's good with music, all of a sudden it would be like, okay, I feel a little bit better about eating this extra thing or skipping this workout because I feel this is like creating so much deeper happiness within myself. So I really believe that that's, I mean, I know that's what really helped me get over it. But I will say that not unlike any other addiction or stuff that we go through on that level, that it doesn't ever go away. You know what I mean? It's just something that you have to battle for the rest of your life and you have to find a way to handle it. I want to go back to the music thing because a lot of people will report that just listening to music, it's different than other types of experience because it feels very embodied. I don't even know if that's the right word, quite frankly, but it's, it feels like a physical experience. So let's say, for example, I'm listening to like Carol King's Tapestry. I, I said I was going to integrate that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> we agreed ahead of time that somehow Carol King and Carly Simon would come up in the conversation. That was oh my, my God, was, I love that, it. That was, my, that was my best shot. So, but, that, but, I, but actually, since that is actually true, like I can put on that album and I don't know, I don't know what it is. Like there's something that's healing about it. And there's something about it that is not just, oh, I'm like listening over there to music. I don't know, the only way I can describe it, it feels like a part of you. I don't know if it's the, the specific rhythms or if it's just you like something and activates something in your brain, but that can definitely be for someone. But I'm kind of curious for you, is it the listening to music or is it the, the making or performing music that really kind of got you into a different zone? Well, for me, it's the making music aspect because, I mean, I love performing, but I always talk about this too with um, when people ask me like, oh, you know, why aren't you doing your artist career, which I never stopped doing. It's just like, it's just like kind of like picking and choosing your moments because, you know, obviously it, it being doing an artist thing is so, there's so many things involved in before Corona, obviously it was, it's a massive part of it is being on touring. So I love performing, but, you know, again, with somebody like myself, who's gone through a lot of anxiety um, 
written things and just like just having the experiences that I went through, I feel like performing I loved, but all the anxiety was just so much, you know? So the creating music part was always something that was super cathartic for me. And the thing that really was over the top euphoric that really just brings me like a totally different kind of joy. Making the connection for people to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it of, you know, the making music, but then you still have to do some of these behaviors. Like in theory, you have to eat more and, and perhaps exercise or, or any other kind of compensatory behaviors less. Did you notice that that just happened naturally or did you feel like you had to go through a whole nother route to make sure that you were doing those things? No, it was weird. I feel like honestly, it, it really did happen on its own. But again, I'm still in the process of healing after all these years, you know, I think I, that's why I'm lucky that I was able to come out of it with music and having that really helped me through it. And also just like, obviously having a great family and support system too was amazing. But I do think that again, it just sort of happened. And again, it was like one day at a time, like, you know, feeling less guilty about not working out or less guilty about adding something to your diet. But I, but it's funny because even coming into today it's like I have like a weird association with working out now it's like it just brings me back it's like a PTSD thing where it's like I was so addicted to it and it seems so negative because it's supposed to be positive obviously it's supposed to help you feel better but for me it's like there's this weird association so I I'm not going to pretend that it's like poof like oh cool it's like gradual and I'm good now it's like no it's it's a lifetime process the same way that alcoholism is or you know drug abuse it's like when people go to AA and you have to go to meetings and constantly check up on yourself these things don't just disappear it's like a a work in progress and people have to really work you know you know we're humans we're not robots yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think can be so tough with eating issues is that, and this, this is the same thing with addiction to an extent, is that you have to develop this somewhat of a false self, at least like a sort of a false social self. Because if people really knew what you were thinking, feeling, and what you were doing, they, they, they might have a very different opinion than if they just kind of, you know, see the results. You know, so, you know, somebody who's drinking a lot, People might be like, oh, this person's so much fun, whatever. But if they realize like, oh, no, no, that person's been drinking since morning, you know, it might be like, oh, you know, so you got to kind of keep that from them. And I think with eating, it's very similar. Like people like we were talking about might say, oh, you know, you look nice or, oh, like, you know, it's so great that you work out so much, but they don't know what's happening. And I'm kind of curious for you if, you, if you felt like that you've had that, hey, here's my social persona a little bit that that's not fully me versus like, you know, this is this is the me that I show the world or I don't show the world, I should say. I think that with me, I'm just, I find it so much better to talk about it, which is why this stuff is so, so important. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm not the type of person that wants to repress it. I probably used to be, you know, like where I was more embarrassed and wanted to pretend that it was all fine and like, oh yeah, I'm great. And like people always like, tell me like you're so bubbly and and these things you have all this energy and you're always so happy I'm like so I have I've developed like a it's not even like a fake surface because it's real because I that is who I am and I, I I'm so I promote good energy and I always want everyone you know it's just I'm all about the vibe but it doesn't mean that I'm not being honest about how I'm really feeling because if you were to ask me hey like how are you really feeling like I I don't have any issues saying the truth you know and I and I really believe that that's so healing because I think when you 
hide behind this thing that's so not real. It just eats away at you until you're just dust. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that's healthy. And I, and I love talking about it. In fact, I think it's really great, even for my songwriting. It's just, it's so amazing. And you, you, you're surprised at the amount of people that also want to talk about what they're going through. And that's why I love what I do because a lot of times like somebody can say, how are you? And you really tell them and you're truthful and they appreciate that. It makes that you feel more human. And in, in turn, they will go and talk about how they're feeling and be like, Oh, it feels so nice to really be real. And it's just amazing. Like when you open that up to people and you're not just like, I'm great. I'm perfect. Blah, blah, blah. Look at me. It's just like, it just seems like, what's the point at that? Like why, why, for what, you know, like I'm just over that. A lot of people feel as though if they share all of those parts of them, that they're then beholden to have a certain affect publicly. Like, like you can't talk about something as, I mean, you know, like what, what you're talking about is serious stuff. I mean, kidney failure, getting your head smashed in by someone who was a bully, you know, it's like, it's a serious stuff. And yet the people will assume that if you talk about that, or if you've had that in your history, that now you're not allowed to necessarily be happy. It's almost like it's not it's not being respectful of, of, of that part of yourself. And so people say like, well, I don't want anyone to think that. I want people to see me as a happy person. So I, I can't talk about that. And I think it's good that you're saying what you're saying because it's saying to people like, look, you can have very difficult things happening to you and still it's still okay to be in a good place. You know, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. In fact, they, they might even work together a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. It's okay not to be okay. You know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're so right about that. And, and I do think about that often. I mean, what's scary is you don't want your headline to be, oh, that's the person that this happened to. Right. And that's the scary part about talking about stuff because people is so like people in our society love to put you in boxes and you don't want to be the person that's woe is me. And it's like, especially if you work really hard and you're achieving stuff and you have all these things going on and people just will ignore all of that stuff and make your, your new headline, like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's the girl with the eating disorder. Yeah. That's the girl that like, so I understand that sense. I believe that talking about things like eating disorders or being bullied or things like that, I think it's just so relevant to our culture today and it just gets worse and worse with social media again. So I think to be somebody that's talked about it and, and also somebody that's come over the hill, obviously still not like not ignoring it and obviously still going through it and being able to be like, hey, this exists, but I'm a constant work in progress. I think that's, ins- I, I would hope to think, think that that's inspiring for young girls going through it. And I feel like to see like, hey, this girl like me has a music career doing her thing. I'm not letting it take me down. And that's to me, like if I had that or somebody to look up to, to that went through that and, and, and came out on the other side, but also was real and saying, Hey, it's not just disappearing. It's not going to go away. I'm not like, Oh yeah, I'm totally fine now. I'm great. It's not about that. You have to still be real. You can't just tell somebody like, Hey, I went through all this shit and now I'm amazing. Like, look at my life. No, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not letting it take me down. I'm driven as hell. I'm a hustler. I'm going to go for it. I have this great career, but you know what? I'm so concentrating on my mental health and it's a, it's a daily process and that's really important because i think people need to be realistic it's if it, you can't if you're fake where do you actually solve anything yeah no and it's and i think what i really appreciate you talking about also is whether or not it's an eating disorder or some other kind of mental health problem or or or, or dealing with these kind of societal issues you know because you're as you become more and more prominent, like these types of things, you know, people are looking to you one way or another, which is a huge amount of pressure. But what I I really appreciate you saying is that it's not really ever done. I think that in our field, 
even like the way we structure things sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, 20 week program to lose weight or, you know, 10 week program to cure depression or like, you know, and it's sort of like, uh, that, 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 that's not how it works. No. You know, like, like it's a lifelong thing. And I think that, I think that one of the problems is, is that if people don't know that it's kind of like someone who's playing baseball, who's saying like, oh man, I suck. I, I only, I only three out of 10 hits. Like every time I go up, I'm like the, I must be the worst baseball player ever. But you know, that in fact, if you had a career of three out of 10, you're the best baseball player ever, you know? So you have all these people who are, are, you know, are grinding it out and are getting better and are working on their stuff. But the fact that they're still working on it years later, they then think ah, I failed. Like I, I, I didn't do this right. It's like, it's, it's the opposite. You know, I feel like it's exactly what you're saying. I just think that we have to not let society tell us what, what, what we want to do. I think that you have to be able to make your own choices and, and feel comfortable with it. But I agree. Like when you, you bring up like the therapy, a 10 day, retreat or whatever it is. And you're saying cured in 10 days. Like to me, I, that I, I like the idea as a jump start because some people don't know how to like motive. It's the same way as like working out. It's like, you may not be able to get up yourself, but if you go with a friend, maybe that's motivating enough. Or maybe if you join a class, you know, it makes you feel like there's incentive to actually go because you paid for it or whatever it is. It's like, there's, there's something, there's a merit to that, but to say, Hey, hey in 10 days, you're going to be cured is very unrealistic because I think no matter how much work you do, it's like, this is again, going to be just something that you have to work on for the rest of your life. I mean, really it is because these things are just sicknesses really. Right. It's like you, you, you have these things and it's, it's, but it's your responsibility to work on it and not just like loathe in it, I guess, you know? And again, it's, and sometimes it's, it's unfortunate because again, with situations like bullying, it's not, your fault. You know, you didn't ask to be bullied, but this is not maybe the best example, but if you get in a car, somebody hits you, a drunk driver hits you, you didn't ask that drunk driver to drink that night and, and get behind the wheel. But if you, if that happens and you lost a leg and you have to get, you know, you're stuck with that life. So what I'm trying to say is that it's just is what it is. And sometimes you just have to be like, okay, you know what, this happened and I'm going to, I'm, it's going to make me stronger. Yeah. It's so brutal, you know, in the same way what you're talking about with being willing to talk about stuff, but also maintaining kind of an optimism is to be able to go into the depths of how badly that feels, you know, and yet still try to help people keep one foot on the ground. Sometimes people feel again, that those are the opposites. Like if you talk, you know, people are like, well, if you talk about how horrible the bullying was you talk about how horrible an eating disorder was or depression was or whatever it is that by definition no no that's moving us farther away from that taking care of yourself place and i think one of the things that that you're talking about is just that no those things go together and we're always balancing those things throughout our life like how much do we allow ourselves to go into the depths of our feelings and how much do we try to push ourselves a little bit to you know, seize the moment and do the best that we can. And, 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 so, and a lot of times that's alone because we're the only ones that really are, are in our own heads. And that, that can be a very tough thing to balance when you feel like you're doing it on your own. Exactly. I always promote 
whatever your version of self-care is, whether it be therapy or for me, again, I'm just using it as a personal thing, but writing songs or whatever your, you know, passion is a big thing too. Like it's like whatever you're passionate about or makes you feel happy outside of like maybe a self-serving purpose, you know, it's like your, your job. If, for example, for me, like, like I do, you know, I do this mental health podcast too. And like, for me, that's just something that I love because I love talking about this stuff. And I feel that it's so important to just have that communication with people. And I, I think it's really healing. So I love, I love it. And it feels like more like a hobby, I guess. So I do think that my choice is something that I want to spend my time on as something that's like extracurricular kind of thing. And I think to do those type, like maybe it's an art class or maybe it's cooking, you know what I mean? But I do think these type of things help get over certain things because it just helps you like move your brain. And like, I always promote anything like that. Yeah. Our, our life looks very different in the context of purpose, in the context of passion. Things make sense that otherwise don't. You know, if you're in, in relationships where there's there's the sense of passion between two people, whether, whether friendship, romantic, whatever, and, and you just sort of feel like, oh, okay, like things make sense to me. You know, now all of a sudden my life makes sense. You know, when you're doing things that you feel like you were born to do, like if you're doing music, right. it just, right. it just feels very different than if you're not, you know, people feel like a fish out of water. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that's one of the biggest things that gets people better uh, from any issue, you know, and is one of the driving forces for people to take care of themselves, you know, people, 100%. You, you know, take care of yourself so that you can keep doing these things. I think it's wonderful, you know, when you're stepping up with, with your podcast. And I think that just, you know, even being able to come on, on this one and talk, because again, you know, music is, is where a lot of people's passion lies. And a lot of people have been trying to figure out like, well, these are the people that we look to that are kind of our heroes in this area. You know, these are our musical heroes. It's like, how, you know, if, how are they figuring it out? If they've gone through it, maybe I can. And that's, that's huge. Oh, exactly. You just said exactly what I always think. I mean, you know, Carol King, let's, let's bring it back to her. It's like, it's, you it's look, all about Carol King. Yeah. You look at her story and you think, okay, she wanted to be an artist and wrote all these great songs and ended up being a songwriter, primarily, obviously an artist as well. But it's just like her story in that is so interesting because it's when you're the one that wants to be front and center and then all your songs want to go to somebody else and people are like, oh no, give your songs to this person. It's like, I can only imagine what that would make somebody feel right. So I'm just saying from the outs, even just like knowing like from the outside, some of what she went through or whatever it is, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sure that that obviously caused insecurity and, and maybe made better songs, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, for me as, as a songwriter to love her so much and admire her, but know that is like, oh, it gives you hope because you're like, if you went through it, then like, damn, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. That's to a certain degree. I mean, I guess I do have to say that now you make me feel like a natural woman is starting to have in this context is starting to have like actually uh, that context of like the passion and purpose and like being able to like understand yourself again in the context of a relationship. We, we could revisit that at a later time, but, the, <laughs> but the, the idea that there's representation and yeah. that's something that's so important. You know, when people talk about, Oh, why is media representation? It's like, you know, because even think about this, I mean, you know, okay. Like someone would say like, well, okay, what's such a big deal? Like you're writing songs for other people. Like that's still great, whatever, but it's like, but it might not have been for you necessarily when you started, cause it may not have been your vision. And just knowing that there was someone else out there who did it and you could look to it and be like, Oh, this could be done. You know? Oh, you could get over depression. You can get over an eating disorder, not 
like we said, like it's a lifelong thing, but just knowing that there's a path is sometimes a difference between, you know, people living or dying or people like trying or not trying. That's the goal. I mean, I'm sure that's the goal with your podcast. That's the goal with this podcast is like people can then just have something to hang on to that just gets them a little bit farther along. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like, especially when it comes to musicians, because like you said, music's so powerful. So if you're a fan of music or a fan of an artist, whether you want to be an artist or whether you're just a fan and you hear your favorite artists talking about whatever they might be going through and, and how they are getting through it, how would that not be inspiring? You, you idolize these people. These are people that you freaking put on the wall, your walls, like your screensaver. You know what I mean? These are like, these are like icons in your mind. Like they just feel like perfect. And so when you realize that they're not perfect, then you're like, oh, okay, well, great. Like it means that I get more hope and that's pretty cool, you know? And like, then it's serving a real purpose in the sense that you're not just complaining about things that you've gone through just to hear yourself talk or just to be like, oh, feel bad for me. You're actually doing it so you can help other people heal. And when they heal, you're going to heal because I, I believe that like as human beings, it's such, it's just, you know, the law of attraction. It's like physics. Literally, if, if I'm impacting your life, you're impacting mine. Well, that seems like an awesome <laughs> point to end on. I see we're out of time, but honestly, thank you so much for coming on. It's been so great talking with you. I learned a lot. I think people are going to learn a lot listening to it. So thank you so much. And honestly, best of luck with all the wonderful things you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. So there it is. Jenna Andrews talking about struggling with anorexia and her ongoing recovery. There's so much we can take away from the conversation with Jenna. But one thing that I wanted to focus on is the horribly damaging effect of bullying in general and weight-related bullying in particular. Our body weight and shape can be very sensitive subjects, especially when we are growing up. Not only because we are going through sometimes sudden and difficult changes, but also because our changes are often very public. And we often have no control over what people say or do. So we feel very vulnerable to people commenting on our weight and shape teasing us, bullying us, in Jenna's case, both verbally and physically. And this bullying can be the beginning of us developing unhealthy attitudes towards our bodies and unhealthy behaviors that can develop into eating disorders. And really, any form of bullying increases our stress and therefore the risk of developing or exacerbating mental illness. So we've got to keep the dialogue going in order to make people more aware of the negative effects of bullying and to help people who are the victims of bullying learn how to cope. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, addiction, or eating disorders, and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Consequence Podcast Network.